This is Rob Peary with the Coffee Runs Deep podcast, where we interview coffee farmers, coffee roasters, and we share their stories. I truly hope you enjoy the experience. What's up, everyone? We have a great episode cooked up today. Jason and I discuss everything from starting a drop shipping business, his thoughts on his Loring Roaster, and a couple business lessons about cash flow and employees. Truly hope you guys enjoy. So let's dive in. Welcome to the Coffee Runs Deep podcast. I'm your host, Rob Peary. And today we have a special guest on, Jason Richter with Path Coffee Roasters. And make sure to dive into this one. So Jason, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and let's dive into it. Uh, my name is Jason Richter. I'm the owner of Path Coffee Roasters, uh, actually co-owner. My wife uh, runs the business with me, so we're a family-owned business. Uh, we're based out of New York, um, and um, we've been uh, in operation since 2013. Uh, we focus on specialty coffees and uh, wholesale retail through our website. Uh, we offer a pretty robust drop shipping program as well for uh, people who are interested in getting into the coffee business and starting their own brands. Uh, so that's private label. Um, and uh, quick background of mine, I went to actually, I went to film school. Um, my family's been in the coffee business for many generations. So I've kind of uh, been around it for a long time, but my interests originally were in uh, film, film production, things like that. So I went to school for that and ended up out in Los Angeles for about 10 years. Uh, 2000 to about 2012 so about 12 years I guess and uh, was a movie trailer editor for a good portion of that time so found myself sitting in a dark room all day trying to cut together some not so great movies and some some okay movies <laughs> into something that people would want to watch and uh, just got kind of bored with it honestly um, turned out to not be uh, well I never really wanted to be an editor but I was I was good enough to do it professionally for many years um, and, uh, but just wasn't my passion after a while and had an opportunity to come back home to New York and work in the coffee business. And when I did, I uh, started path coffee roasters, uh, to really kind of, um, fill a niche that wasn't being, uh, really focused on here in our area in Westchester County, New York, uh, which is more of the specialty, uh, focused coffees. And, uh, yeah, we just been, uh, growing and supplying coffee to restaurants, cafes, uh, like I said, through our website, uh, and then uh, most recently with COVID, a lot of people started to get in touch with us about drop shipping, wanting to start their own sort of side hustle. Uh, and so we sort of took the reins and really built out a pretty robust program uh, for those people. And um, yeah, we've just been growing that ever since. Yeah, I'm kind of curious about that. We can go ahead and dive into that now then um, for the drop shipping and stuff. So your business now, are, are you mostly a coffee roaster? Do you have a cafe too, or are you just no. coffee roasting? Just roasting coffee. Just no, roasting I mean, coffee. we've we've dabbled in the idea of opening a small cafe actually out of our lab. Uh, in our in our small town, which is actually called Porchester, uh, there are no cafes. Um, it's a it's it's a town that is um, kind of converting over. Um, they're putting up new buildings and things like that. So maybe it'll be something we do in the future. But for now, we don't offer any kind of uh, brewed coffee option. Uh, you know, if you order through our website and you're local, we do offer a roastery pickup option so people can uh, choose that, not pay anything for shipping, obviously, and then come by and grab their coffee. But other than that, we don't have a cafe. We're just a we're just a roaster. OK, well, gotcha. So before we get into drop shipping, then do you feel like not having a cafe was beneficial to you because you could just focus on the roaster or do you feel it would have been better to have a place where people could kind of taste your coffee and stuff like that? Or do you even feel that even really mattered? Um, you know, it, I have no idea if it matters or not, cause we don't have one. So, yeah. um, uh, you know, I feel like not having it has probably allowed us to really focus on what we're really good at, which is sourcing and roasting and, and selling wholesale coffee. Um, at some point, I think it would be, um, a good thing to do, uh, for us to really present our coffees the way that we think they should be presented. Um, you know, you do your best as a wholesaler to, um, you know, to, to sort of instruct your customers as to how to brew coffee or what have you. But, you know, at the end of the day, you want to do your own thing and you want to present it your own way. And uh, maybe we'll do that, but um, I don't know. It, it, it might be beneficial if we do it. I probably will be because people will, you know, have an opportunity to experience us in a different way as opposed to just buying a bag of coffee. Right. Uh, and I'm sure it would increase our sales, but uh, for now we're not, 
really focused on it. Um, it's sort of on the back burner. Um, and, and I'm sure it'll come back up at some point and we'll, we'll do it. But yeah. Not for now. So then as far as like drop shipping, what does that look like for y'all then? Like, do people just, I mean, what, what, what's your role in that? Are you taking the orders from them or are you taking the orders from like their customers or how, how, how's all that kind of look? So, um, if you, I mean, for anybody who might be interested in watching this video, you certainly go to our website, pathcoffees.com. And, um, there's a drop shipping section on that, on that website and it kind of goes through it. Um, uh, but essentially what happens is, um, and I'll link all your stuff down below too, as far okay. as like the YouTube channel and all that. So I'll put yeah. all that in the description and all that. So, but, but, but essentially what happens is, uh, somebody will build out their website, create their brand. Um, they'll sample our coffees. Uh, there's a bunch of other things, you know, account setup forms and things like that, but, uh, we will connect their site to our ShipStation account. ShipStation is a, a program that we use for all of our logistics, receiving orders, shipping orders. Uh, and so what happens is somebody places an order, let's say on your website and the order just gets pushed to us. Um, and, uh, and we go ahead and fulfill it in your brand, uh, the coffee that people have requested ground whole bean. And uh, we ship it out. Uh, everything is branded uh, with, with your information on it. Um, the only thing is, um, it does have our return address on it because if it, you know if something happens with delivery, it has to come back to us. But other than that, it's, it doesn't have our information on it at, at, at all. And um, the customer gets fresh roasted coffee, uh, which is really nice. And, and the drop shipper, our customer, doesn't have any inventory. There's very little upfront costs. It's a very cost-effective business to start. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, we have a decent amount of customers and uh, we don't advertise. We've just done a decent amount of uh, quality, you know, blogging on our website, good SEO. Um, I think we're pretty high ranking in Google if you type in like drop shipping coffee or something like that. Um, and so we just get customers that way. We haven't spent really very much money at all to get any customers, which has been a pretty good thing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So then as far as picking coffee and stuff, like, do you kind of give them options what they can choose or, or can they go out and like say, Hey, I want to, can you go and procure this coffee from, you know, say Ethiopia and then get it in for just them? Like how, how does that kind of look? We, we just offer what's on our menu. Gotcha. Um, they rename the coffees. Gotcha. So if we have something from Guatemala and they're interested in offering that on their menu, then they would call it something else. I and mean, they okay. could certainly just call it straight up Guatemala. It's what it is. Um, but, uh, yeah, we just offer what's on our menu. We don't offer total roasting, um, or basically somebody sending us green coffee to roast for them, or we really don't procure special lots for anybody. Um, just the amount of effort and work. Oh yeah. That's that what would, I was thinking. that would be insane. If, if a lot of, you know, all of a sudden everybody's like, Oh, I want to do this or that. We do offer a decent amount of customization. If you want to use our, our bags, uh, our stock bags and our label printing capabilities. Uh, that's great. If you want to get custom bags and custom labels sent to us, uh, we do, uh, we'll keep that inventory here and, and manage it for you. Um, we try and be as flexible as possible. Some of our customers who are drop shippers also turn out to be wholesalers. They find brick and mortar locations or they find people who want to buy larger volumes. And so we'll do bulk orders to them more directly to their customers. Um, so, you know, we, we try and uh, we, we sell coffee. So, uh, you know, however the order comes in, we'll take it and get it out the door as quickly as possible and make sure it goes out the right way. Yeah. I think that's such a cool kind of concept. Cause I, I, I get a lot of people always asking, you know, like how, what's the best way to start and stuff like that. And they just want to get something out and, you know, S 15 Loring is pretty expensive and then the setup and then, you <laughs> it know, so it's like, to, yeah. to put out a good coffee like that and get your name out. Um, that's, that's a really, you know, inexpensive and kind of less capital intensive way of getting out there. How, like if you mind me asking about how many people do you have drop shipping? Uh, it's well over a hundred right now. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And look, not everybody, not everybody does great. Not everybody sells a lot of coffee. Some people, yeah. they start the process and they don't really go very far with it. Right. Uh, in terms of selling, um, some people do really, really well uh, <clears throat> because they put in the effort. You know, selling coffee is not just like having a website and, you know, the orders just, you know, just flow in. It's a lot of effort and people have to 
do the marketing and, and all that sort of thing. So um, for those who do put in the effort, uh, they can make some good sales. For those who don't, then it's just, you know, doesn't really cost them anything. Yeah. We don't charge. There are some drop shippers out there, drop shipping companies like myself, who might charge like monthly fees. Even if you don't sell anything, you're, you're paying them. Uh, yeah. We don't do that. I'm really not interested in taking your money if you're not selling any coffee. Um, we have a, a setup fee. We have some small minor fees. If you do send us like, um, like bags and labels to inventory, but if you're just using our stock bags and our label printing uh, capabilities, then there's really, you just pay for the bag of coffee um, as it's listed on our menu, um, our drop shipping menu and the exact cost of shipping. We don't mark up shipping or do any pick and pack fees or anything like that. So it's, it's a very simple concept uh, for people to kind of wrap their brains around and financially. It's not very, um, you know, expensive to get started. Wow. That's not, that's a, that's a super cool concept. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it's, it's, you know, for somebody who's interested in coffee and wants to start a brand, they don't have to get into roasting. They don't have to learn how to source green coffee. Um, I know a lot of your, um, the people that you interview, they, they start out on small roasters, 800 gram roasters, or move to, um, uh, you know, a small mill city or, or a Diedrich or something like that. It's, it's very time intensive. It's, it's not an easy thing to just jump into roasting um, and sourcing all the gearing coffee. And then just, you know, some people they start and they're like, ah, it just takes too much time to do this. You know, especially if you're, or if you're roasting small volumes, you know, yeah, it's like you get a couple of orders and you're sitting there for hours and it's just like, Oh, painstaking after a while that and then like the quality you know you, you got a machine like you got that can repeat roast you know consistently and then but if you're having yeah. to manually sit there for 14 batches and, and make a coffee taste the same it, it i think it's it hard. takes a lot of practice you know i mean, I mean you, yeah we use cropster um obviously the loring behind me um, has its own built-in automation and uh, its own tracking software as well cropster is obviously a, a lot more refined uh, so you, we really sort of follow Cropster when it comes to to sort of creating profiles and storing profiles and things like that. But, you know, if you're doing, you know, 10 batches of dark roast, uh, what we call our dark roast, you know, probably light, lighter than a lot and maybe darker than some. But, um, you know, you can automate that, you know, and, and it'll nail it all the time. You know, you don't have to push buttons on every single one of those batches. And it's great because on my, my old roaster, which is kind of over here, this old Dietrich right here, which we don't use anymore. How big is Actually, it? You, uh, well, it's, it's called a snowflake. Well, we call it a snowflake. I think other people would prefer to it as a snowflake because back in the day, uh, Dietrich would build these roasters kind of on spec, um, as far as I understand. Um, and um, so they're all a little bit different. And this is one of them. And so it's, um, it's not extremely powerful. Um, I don't know the exact amount of coffee, but we would put no more than 40 pounds into it at a time green. Um, and even then it was a really long roast. It was like 15 minute roast. I mean, that's pretty damn old. Yeah. And, um, uh, and, and we did have crops were hooked up to it at, at one point and we added a couple little things. We actually rewired the whole thing. Um, but we had to move on to something a lot more, um, consistent, a lot more modern, um, and, um, you know, it's, I call that my sledgehammer. This is more like a chisel, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was watching your video on, on the Loring. And it's just, it's so cool how, um, uh, I don't know, just how everything works on them and everything like that. And the cyclone, yeah. are you the yeah. only one that roast or does anybody else there roast with you? No, I have, uh, I have a guy who roasts with me as well. Uh, one of his sort of backup, like my backup, I guess is, uh, is my, it's a guy named Sal. And um, he's our head of production and he also roasts when I can't roast. Um, we're a small tight knit group, you know, um, we put out a lot of product. Uh, we've automated a lot of things and we've really refined our process, but um, I typically do a lot of roasting and then he'll jump in if need be, uh, if I'm not here or we just need to do something and I just can't get to it or something like that. You know, as the owner, you're always doing a lot of other things as, as owners of any business, you know, you've got a lot of, balls in the air and um so you know sometimes i can't be here to roast a batch or two or ten and so he takes over and does it yeah and the, and, and the reason why we got this machine frankly is because i wanted to be able to um have somebody else roast i wanted to make it easy for my customers to get their coffee and i didn't want to stress out that oh well the batch didn't come out right or on, on the dietrich 
it was very difficult. It was literally like you're moving sliders and you had to, you had to almost know this roaster uh, intimately. Uh, whereas the luring, you know, you can just, once it's, once the, the profile is sort of the art, creating that profile is like the, sort of the art of roasting. Um, but the production roasting is, is very sort of monotonous pro, you know, process. So I wanted a machine where I could program it. I could set the profile for the coffee, um, but somebody else could get in there and roast a lot if need be. Yeah. So that's what's making me look a lot towards luring as well, because especially with the world the way it is now and stuff. And, you know, like if, if you want to step out for a second, do something else, you know, go to origin, you can still have somebody there that can roast in your stead. And mm -hmm. that's what I've been looking at that too. So, you know, you basically still, like you're saying, have that art to create the profile you want, find whatever mm -hmm. flavor profiles you're looking for in, in the copy. And yep. then once you have that, it's pretty much just a kind of a job basically after that to keep putting out the coffee. It so, is. And, it, and, it, and, and on the old machine, I would roast, let's say 10 batches in a day. Um, uh, just a number, but um, you'd be wiped out at the end of the day, at the end of that roasting day, you'd be wiped out. Cause once you start roasting, you really don't leave the roaster. It's not like you're going off and having lunch and you know, right. cause you just, you start and you don't, you don't stop. Right. It's heated. Uh, up. I guess unless moving. you had somebody to relieve you, but, on this machine, I had nobody to relieve me. So you were there and you're wiped out because you're always focused on the profile and how is it roasting and, uh, you know. And then on this machine, I, I can roast 10, 20 batches a day and you don't feel wiped out. You know, it's a long day. Um, it's also a lot faster and the between batch uh, time is a lot, lot quicker. This is, this is three minutes. This is almost like 10 minutes. So you can imagine the amount of wasted time sitting here, just letting this thing cool down because this machine has very little thermal uh, stability in, in terms of like holding on to a lot of heat between batches. So uh, it's stainless steel. It just, it, it bleeds energy. So you're always, um, it, the way you roast is a lot different. Whereas this machine, you'd have to, between batches, you'd have to really let it, give it time to cool it down and get it, get it below your charge temp, like decently below your charge temp. Uh, and that took a long time on this machine. You could literally charge the next batch in like a minute. If you really wanted to, we have a three minute, uh, between batch protocol, uh, that we use. Uh, and that's really just our choosing, uh, this thing you can, you can slam roast if you really need to. Um, we typically don't, but, um, that three minutes is, um, has saved us an enormous amount of just wasted time in the day, uh, versus this roaster here. So, um, yeah, I mean, just it's, it's it's like night and day. This is like my iPhone, and this is like you know that rotary telephone your your grandmother had. The old Nokia. Huh? Um, <laughs> so then, as as far as the like the I guess the luring. So whenever you're dropping, about how long and and about how much? So Nest 15 is 15 kilograms. We we roast uh, 30 pounds every okay. batch. There's no variation, um, regardless of the coffee. It's 30 pounds. Uh, we go through a decent amount of coffee, so it doesn't bother me. Um, and um, a lot of times we'll roast on Friday for the next week, especially with espresso and stuff like that. It needs to sit, it needs to rest, needs to degas a little bit, make it more consistent when you're pulling shots and things like that. And um, we don't roast super dark. So, um, you know, even letting the, uh, you know, batch brew or, or pour over coffee, uh, rest for a couple of days is, is, is really good. And we've tested it out. And frankly, five, 10 days off roast tastes much better than a day off roast. The idea that fresh coffee is better coffee is not always, not always ap applicable. It, right. You know, it, it doesn't always, you know, cause there's so much gas coming off that coffee when you grind it and you put hot water on it. It's just, you know, it's like frying chicken or anything like that. You know, it's like, you want those bubbles because you don't want the, the, the fat to go into the, the chicken, right? But you need to cook the outside. Well, it's sort of the same thing, except you right. want the water to get into those sort of the opposite. But it, it, when, you, when you have that really fresh coffee, all that carbon dioxide, all that gas is sort of keeping the water from getting into the grinds. Um, so if you let it sit and degas a little bit, it's much easier to extract consistently. And um, yeah, just it's better coffee, honestly. Yeah. So um but yeah, so uh, I think I think that answered your question. Yeah, no, that's that's super cool. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. They they just seem like a 
a really well-built machine, first of all. I don't know if you can speak to the quality of it. Have you had any issues with it as far as like breaking or program problems or computer issues or anything with it? Or So not computer issues. We have had problems with it, but not problems that are really... So the one thing you have to know about this machine is um, it doesn't have IR burners like this machine over here. It has a cyclone. And depending on your gas in your particular uh, building or wherever you're running this machine, you kind of need to dial it in. Um, and you know, gas uh, delivery can change throughout the year also. Uh, we have Con Edison up here. So you know, the amount of gas you get or the pressure that you get uh, can vary slightly. It's not that drastic, but we've had to kind of tweak the, the gas a little bit. Uh, we also had one, one time where it wouldn't actually start up unless we manually actuated this part in the roaster, uh, which made it work, but it was not what it, it wasn't like what it should be. And eventually what we found out, there are these tubes that came out of the cyclone and go up to another area in the roaster that tell it like what to do in the beginning phases because uh, it purges. It does it initially when you push warm up. One other thing about this machine is that it warms up on its own. It like will ping between a high and a low and um, it, you can walk away. I mean, yeah, you come back and check it, but you can walk away and do other things like set up batches, you know, green batches or, or brew some coffee or what have you, do an email or two. But um, the, it wouldn't purge correctly and then it wouldn't light the burner properly. And, and eventually what we found out is that these little tubes were, um, they were clogged. Something had gotten into them. Um, you know, sometimes we have a lot of wind, um, you know, chaff can get up there, whatever it was, it got clogged. So we had done all these things. We had taken parts out, put part, new parts in. Loring is really, really good about customer support. So they were always helping us out, but we couldn't figure it out until one day somebody was like, why don't you check those, those little tubes, you know, and see if that's causing a problem. And lo and behold, that was the problem. We changed out a tube and it was like, you know, it was like weeks of like, why is this not working? And then all of a sudden it was a, it was a little tube. Yeah. So, but you know, look, all in all, I, you know, I, this machine is phenomenal. Like I would encourage anybody who can get this type of machine uh, to get this machine uh, or one of their machines, you know, their seven or their 15 or their 35. Or, or yeah. That's seven. been my thing too, deciding on whether to start low at the seven or to just, you know, pay a little bit more and get the 15 and kind of grow into it. But I always think, it's better to have something that you can grow into yeah. because if your business mindset is that I'll only be here, then you'll only be there. Yeah. But if you have something you have to grow into, then your business mindset is like, I got to fill this thing up. Wow. What do I got to yeah. go? I got to go out and get some business. Let me go sell and it just harder. changes how you kind of go about it. You know, I used to have this mentality where like, if I just do a good job, I'll make the money that I need to make. And that's not how it works. You need to be focused on doing a good job and making money is the symptom of doing a good job and having a good rapport with your customers or whatever. But you still gotta be focused on like, what do I gotta do to get the business, right? right. You know, it's like the drop shipping thing. Like I didn't even think about it until somebody said, it. I was like, oh wow, that's, a, that's something we can do. I can, I can, I can sell coffee. Like the other thing I never understood is sorry to cut you off, but is that people are, especially in specialty coffee, people are very sort of like, um, they're very proud. I won't have a dark roast or I won't do this or I won't do that, you know, or I won't only sell coffee to people who brew coffee this way. And I'm like, I sell coffee. I try and sell the best coffee I can. I try and buy the best coffee I can. I try and roast the best way. But I'm not going to alienate a potential customer because I'm too proud to sell a dark roast. Yeah, I'm just going to do the best dark roast that I can do. You know, something that I would appreciate drinking, um, but I'm not going to say, no, I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that. I just don't. That to me doesn't make any sense, especially if you're a business owner. If it's just a hobby, fine. Just do it as a hobby. But I support a family on this business and I, I help support other people in this business. So I, I can't be like that. Yeah, I kind of found that out, too. In the beginning, I was kind of that mindset where I'm only going to roast light coffee, you know, when I was starting out and then. I realize I'm down here in Louisiana. Everybody likes dark coffee. So if, if you're a, if you don't at least put an option out there, you're missing yeah. out on a lot, you know, and it's and by, like for what ego, you know, yeah. I mean, doesn't make any sense. And by the know. way, the person who likes your dark roast will come back and maybe try your light roast and maybe you'll convince them that, Hey man, there's something out there other than the dark roast. Right. But if you do a good dark roast then who cares? I mean, 
people like what they like. If, you know, don't ever put milk. I never understood cafes that don't offer milk and sugar. Why? It's not your coffee. It's their coffee. Yeah. Don't tell somebody how to drink their coffee. Everybody likes it different. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely it. As far as like picking your coffee and stuff, I was going through your blog and I saw you've kind of been to, uh, I think it was El Salvador, maybe, maybe some other places. Um, do you go down? Did, did you, I know you probably haven't been, you know, since the COVID stuff and all, but is that what you used to do? Kind of go down there and um, pick coffees and everything, or how, how do you pick coffees now? Um, so I did go to El Salvador one time. I've never been to origin other than that. Okay. Um, this, the idea that people go to origin all the time and pick their coffees. It's, it's a cool thing. I'm sure a lot of people do do it. It doesn't make sense for a lot of people though. Um, uh, we're, we're again, a small company. Um, I don't buy an enormous amount of coffee. I can't fill a container. Yeah. Um, on my own. Um, and frankly, I like to have a variety of options in terms of what I'm, what I'm searching for. So I don't have the means to go to Africa and Ethiopia or go to central South America or go all over the, the world to find specific coffees just for me. I rely on amazing, very sort of, uh, competent, uh, exporters and importers. That being said, I do have communication with a bunch of farmers that we buy coffee from. So it's not like I'm not like in communication with some of them. Like for El Salvador, I, you know, get on WhatsApp and, and text German at, um, at his farm and ask him to send me pre-ship samples of the coffee that he has for this season. And, uh, and then he has an importer here in the States who handles the import and I buy it directly from them after I've sort of talked to him and decided what I want. So I have those relationships in some cases, um, but I, I don't go to origin. It's, you know, it's a lot more effort than people think. Um, you know, you're still going to have to have an importer bring it in, you know, you're still, and then there's all the financial aspects of importing coffee on your own. You know, th there's a lot to it. And, and frankly, I'm, I'm good at roasting coffee. I'm not good at like importing coffee and, managing that. And I want to have options. I want to go to one of my, my vendors who I import, you know, buy coffee from and be like, can you send me five Ethiopian samples? You know, I, I wouldn't have time to go to five different farms or right. washing mills and meet all these people and decide some people do it. That that's like their thing. Uh, that's not my thing. I have a young family. It's hard for me to get away yeah, <laughs> also. So, um, but if the opportunity presents itself, I'd be, I'd love to, I mean, there's an opportunity to possibly go to Guatemala I don't know if I'll be able to do it this year, but hopefully in the future with one of my vendors, I work with a company called Onyx. Um, I get all my Guatemalans from them and um, they do origin trips and, you know, I'd love to go on origin trips more, um, but I don't necessarily do it just to like to buy coffee. I right. didn't go to El Salvador originally to buy coffee. It was, it was an opportunity that presented itself and I, I took it and I did meet uh, a great farmer and family and I do buy coffee for them from them. Um, but that wasn't like the reason why I went down initially. Gotcha. So then as far as like, you know, roasting, are, are there any coffees that you just like to roast that are kind of, you know, ones that you just enjoy roasting more than others? I think that one of our most, I mean, we use Guatemala quite a bit. Um, Guatemala has become a very sort of uh, key coffee for us. We use it as a single origin, uh, but then we also create blends with it. Um, so we roast a lot of Guatemala and it's just a really good, our concept has always been unique, but approachable. Um, I don't get into all these different processing methods. There's a lot of roasters out there that want to do all kinds, you know, roast coffees that are, you know, all these different, different processing methods. I'm a wash coffee guy. Um, I'm not a big fan of naturals. I will buy some honeys semi-washed every now and then. Um, but typically all wash coffees. And um, I enjoy those coffees. We have Ethiopia on our menu very consistently. I enjoy that coffee a lot as well. Um, but I want it to be a coffee that is approachable to a lot of people. You know, I don't want it to be like a fruit bomb. Um, I've never believed in roasting so light that it's like this, you know, sucking on a lemon, um, you know, these high acid coffees. Um, that's never been my thing. I roast coffee to, you know, of course, maximize the flavor of the coffee. Uh, or at least the flavors that I like in the coffee. Um, but I want a very balanced coffee. Um, you know, it's like 
like a salad dressing. You don't want any, you know, you want it to be a balanced salad dressing. You want to have enough acid and enough, you know, oil and all these other things. Right. So it's, you know, anybody will enjoy it. You know, you don't want to have it be too high here or too low there. So when I get a coffee, I'm looking for balance, looking for sweetness. Um, I'm looking for approachability. I'm also looking for that sort of tinge of uniqueness that makes the average person like, wow, this is delicious. I've never really had a coffee like this because frankly, most people don't drink specialty coffee. Most people don't drink coffee with these unique flavor profiles, even, even a little bit. I mean, a lot of people just drink dark coffee or some sort of store brand coffee. These very basic commodity coffees that don't have these sort of tinges of uniqueness or very, very clean coffees, uh, you know, that we buy or, you know, and so, so just by doing that, I think, you know, especially with drop shippers, you know, they want to have a coffee that they can sell easily. Right. And so that's the same thing for me. I want to have coffee that people really enjoy drinking that they can go back, you know, have a morning cup an afternoon cup an evening cup, you know, and not be like, only I really have one or two sips of this and sort of force themselves to drink it because it's cool. Right. I want them to actually enjoy it. Yeah. Well, so as kind of moving into your, uh, like the social media and stuff, I, I kind of see you're doing, um, with the YouTube channel and all that, do you feel that's kind of helping promote? I mean, so you're probably not advertising or spending much money in advertising, uh, with, with the drop shipping stuff. Like you said, most of that's probably through the education on YouTube and stuff like that, or. Yes. Yeah. Through our, through our, through our YouTube channel, which frankly I've been slacking on. It's something I really got to do a lot more of. Um, I, I like doing interviews as well. So I do interviews with some drop shippers and I do have some interviews up there with some drop shippers. Yeah, so I have that. some in the can that I've got to kind of upload and stuff like that. But I definitely want to do more sort of specific videos about maybe coffee business or, you know, things like that, um, that people would be interested in. Um, but yeah, the, the YouTube channel has attracted um, a bunch of uh, customers, potential customers through the drop shipping uh, part of our business. And um, our blogging. Uh, I tried to do as much blogging as I can. Um, I haven't done a bunch in a, in a little while, but um, you know, through the SEO and, and people searching on Google and us kind of showing up at the top, um, you know, we've we've been able to attract a decent amount of customers without spending a dime. We yeah, actually think- did try Facebook once; it, it bombed miserably. Um, and I'm not a big fan of, of of doing that anymore because I don't have to. I it seems like what we do uh, is working well. And, um, you know, if it stops working well, we'll do something else. We're, we're pretty quick to pivot if need be. I'm definitely not a person who's like, I got to do it this way all the time, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's super cool. So, like, that's one thing I, I've kind of realized too is like SEO. I mean, if you can master that and get a good, you know, idea on what the keywords are and like, you mm-hmm. know, create a blog or even a YouTube video. Cause like all it, it pushes you up to the top on Google search so much. It, it does. And, and frankly, with, with drop shipping, there isn't a lot of competition out there. I mean, yes, there are other companies that do it, but I think we've really refined the process and I'm not going to pat myself on the back too much, but I think we are the gold standard of drop shippers. If you were to compare us to other drop shippers out there, you would see that we do offer a really, really good competitive uh, program. Um, can we improve? Of course, every business can improve and we always look to improve. Um, but I think right now we're, we're really good. And, um, I think with the quality of the coffee that we, we supply the service, you know, the one thing about us is that we've always looked at ourselves as a customer service business that happens to sell really good coffee. Um, so people want to be able to talk to a real person if they have a problem or a question or just initial conversations about, you know, what is your drop shipping program about? We have extensive FAQs that we point people to to get sort of a, a primer on, on on our program. But if they have other questions, um, uh, then we, we are there to answer them. And my wife is basically heads up that entire sort of account uh, support. Um, and she she kind of organizes and, and manages the whole program. And then I kind of manage the back end of it, you know, sourcing, roasting, getting the product out the door. Sounds like a lot of work, which kind of leads me into my next question about how many hours are y'all putting in a week now versus like maybe when, when you started, I think you said you started in 2013. Yeah. I mean, it's always been a full-time job. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely, you know, I mean, me personally, I put in a lot of hours. I mean, probably 40, 50 hours, 60 hours a week. Um, you know, sometimes I'll come in late, like, um, 
the last part of the year, uh, 2021, um, we didn't get to go away on our vacation, unfortunately. So we just sort of a staycation. Um, so I had, uh, Sal would come in during the day and he would do some work and I would, uh, because we were here, I was able to come into work, but I would come into work late. I'd come in at like eight o'clock at night and I'd roast or I would do emails or I would do whatever I had to do. And, you know, I take work home with me and my laptop. And so you're always kind of working. If you're an owner, you're always working, you know, you're always thinking about stuff, you know, yeah. you know, and my wife and I work together. So we're always talking about stuff and, you know, she's telling me something to do and I'm telling her things that I'm doing. And so what has been your hardest, I guess, maybe like issue or uh thing to kind of get, get past with, you know, owning your own business and starting out, like, what was the, was there any pivotal things where he's like, man, I don't know if I want to do this or have you always just like been gung ho and kind of just making it happen? Uh, there was a period in time where we had an employee who was integral to the business. There's two times and, and that person left and that was good. Actually, it was a very good thing that that person left for a few reasons, but one, it kind of lit a fire under my butt and got me focused on different aspects of the business that I wasn't so focused on. And, um, you know, the one thing that you have to do as a young business is you have to make sure that if somebody's not around, that that doesn't stop your business, that there's no one person who can control your business and your ability to produce a product and get a product to the customer. Um, and so, again, with the lowering with Cropster, um, nobody can stop us from roasting coffee. Um, and so that's really important. And um, so that was one thing that that was difficult. But we got through it and it was actually a great thing. Um, the second thing is if as a small business is cash flow is king. Um, you know, the one thing, you know, you're spending a lot of money up front investing and you've got debt in your business and stuff like that. You need cash. Cash needs to come into your business every single week, one way or the other. If you have weeks with no cash coming in, you're in trouble because you've got bills. You got to pay yourself something. This is not a hobby. You got to take money home for your family. You know, kids want to eat every day, surprisingly. Um, and, uh, and so cash is king. And so I would advise anybody to never offer terms, uh, especially to like restaurants, cafes. It's just an opportunity for people just to not pay you on time. And frankly, you don't need to wait 30 days for your money. They don't wait 30 days for their money. They sell a cup of coffee, they get cash. You know, they should have their profit built in there. They should know what they're doing, hopefully. So we only take credit cards from people. There's one legacy customer that I have that it does have terms, but I have had them for a long time and they're a large business, very well run. And I never worry about getting paid from them. So I don't offer terms anymore, but this is a legacy customer, like I said, so I'm not going to be able to change them. And that's fine because thankfully they're a very good customer and they do uh, pay me when they have to pay me. Um, but I would encourage everybody to really focus on cash flow. Free cash flow is really important. Uh, make sure that you have money coming in, you know, credit cards, uh, you drop coffee off, they give you a check or give you cash out of the till, whatever it is. Take him. You got to get cash every day coming into your business um, because that's how you grow. You need, you need to have money in your business, liquidity to go do stuff. Um, and so that's something that you have to learn early on. And I didn't learn it early on because I offered terms to everybody because that's what everybody asked for. Or that's what I thought was appropriate. But at some point, it's better not to have a customer than to put your finances on the line for that customer. You know, you sell somebody a lot of coffee and they don't pay you. You're screwed. Yeah, They got their money. They basically, they got their money because they sold it. You know, yeah, I remember during... Get, yeah, it's like the the cash flow, even for big business. I didn't realize how kind of important it was. Um, but I remember during the financial crisis, we were even pushing, you know, at, at, at my place of employment, like trying to get these net terms, you know, extended out on the, the vendors we were using, you know, so we don't have to mm -hmm. pay you for 60 days or whatever. Yeah. And it's absolutely. like, geez, we just start thinking about that. Like, you know, you're not giving somebody money for 60 days and that's after invoicing plus this and you could be waiting three months before you get your money. So Yeah. And, you know, look, we're lucky. And look, I, I don't do it. Other people do it that we work with. 
And thankfully we do get terms, but we try and respect it as much as possible. There are times when maybe we're a few days late, but I've never been so late that somebody's like, Hey, why are you not paying us anymore? You know, or, or something like that. Right. You know, uh, we try and do our best to get money out the door as fast as possible. But for us personally, we don't offer terms. Yeah. Um, it's just, and, 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 and the moment you stop offering terms and take credit cards, do the cash thing or do the credit, the check thing, your business will be so much more, uh, you know, solid, you know, you create this really solid foundation where you can go and invest in your business or you can pay off your debt, you know, and, um, you know, because that debt has interest attached to it, right? you know, and you, you know, the last thing you want to do is have to pay so much more for the same item that you could have paid down, you know, if you could shave off a couple of years on, uh, on, on the payment for a machine or equipment or whatever, you know, that's could be thousands of dollars that you, you save. Now you might not realize it right away, but in the long term, it matters. You know? It right. doesn't matter. Yeah. And then uh, I guess what that means, so what are your goals going forward? Like what's your, you know, five, 10 years where, what, what are you trying to do with it? I mean, my goal is to be um, the biggest drop shipper in the industry, the biggest and the best offer the best quality product, the best service. Uh, we're so always that's your main ways. focus then is, is, is the um, drop shipping. So I see drop shipping as um, a very, the other thing about a business that's really important is to not put all your eggs into one basket. You can never let one customer determine your fate. Right. There are some businesses out there that have that one customer that eats up 50% of their revenue. And that's super dangerous because those people, as much as you think they're your best friends, you have great relationships with them, they can walk anytime they want. Unless you have some ironclad contract, which nobody does, yeah. they're not obligated to stay with you. So while I do focus on wholesale and I, and I appreciate that business a hundred percent, that's really important business to what we do. I see the drop shipping as a real uh, big part of our business going forward because I look at it sort of like, it's like the moat around our castle. You know, it's like this onion, this multiple layers of, of, of safety. You know, if one big wholesale customer goes away, that's painful. That's really painful. And knock on wood, that doesn't happen to us. Uh, but nothing is nothing is set in stone. But if a drop shipper leaves me and I've got 100, 200, 1,000 of them, it's not as painful. You know, it's like Walmart doesn't make all their money from one person walking in the door. They make their money from a million people walking in the door. If one person chooses not to come to Walmart that week, Walmart doesn't feel it. Yeah. You know? And so that's the important part of building my business, at least, is that I want that security that security that I know that money is coming in every single week and that if somebody doesn't sell a bag or 10 or doesn't want to continue or it's, it doesn't affect my business. It doesn't affect my life. It doesn't affect anything. It's um, they're all very important to me, but I can't be so beholden to any one of them that if, if, if they go away, it, it affects, it affects my livelihood. Right. Um, you know? And so that's why I, I see it as the future of our business while we also grow our wholesale business. And the dropshipping has also helped us with wholesale because those people who are motivated go out and get wholesale accounts and then they come to us. So we fulfill those wholesale orders. Gotcha. Um, we might met, not make the same margin on that coffee, but we're moving coffee. We're constantly moving coffee. And, um, and, and like I said, the cash flow is, is really important. Yeah, uh, I think that's one thing. Business. One thing I've learned too is just like, is, you know, if you have a machine, you know, like at work, we got some machines. And it's like, if, if the machine has to be running at all times, the, the longer it's running, the more you're putting through it. I mean, just that, that quantity, yeah. like you're going to make more at the end of the year. That machine um, is a moneymaker. Every time coffee goes in it and comes out it, that means yeah. money in my pocket. <clears throat> it might not be money tomorrow, but that coffee is going to get sold. I don't roast right. coffee just for the heck of it. So as far as that machine, like, would, are you close to being maxed out on that one? Or, or, and if you got another one, would you get no. a bigger size or would you just get another S15, you think? Definitely not maxed out on the mach this machine. This machine can pump out an enormous amount of coffee. I mean, you can imagine if you were to work 40 hours a week on this machine and I can do four batches every hour, that's 100 pounds of roasted coffee every single hour because... There's the shrink, obviously. 30 pounds right. goes in, about 25 pounds comes out. We weigh right. every batch. Um, that's a lot of coffee. Uh, we don't sell that much coffee every single week. 
Yeah. Um, I, my goal is to sell that much coffee every single week, but we don't right now. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot more we can roast on this machine. Uh, I would say that if, and when we do max out on this machine, um, we'd probably, I don't know, maybe we'd get another one, the same size, 15. I'm not sure. Cause I know maybe a 35. 35. I'm not yeah. sure. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe we get the 35 because then I can use the 35 to cut my production time in half. Um, so instead of going to, you know, instead of doing 30 pound batches, I do 60 pound batches, same coffee. Yeah. Um, you can translate profiles pretty easily between machine. Uh, one of the good things about the Loring, it's a closed system. It's very consistent. Um, they're using all the same probes. They're using all the same software. The machine is essentially the same. It's just scaled a little bit bigger. So if I have a profile that runs me, you know, 12 and a half minutes and it's hitting these, these points along the way, I could most likely translate that to a 35 kilo. Um, and, you know, obviously maybe a few tweaks here and there, but I think we'd get pretty close initially. Yeah. Um, and um, so I don't know, maybe a 35, but right now we're pretty set on this machine. I think the bottleneck for us right now is always just packing. You know, yeah. we just invested in an automated packing, uh, on a, a, basically a, a weigh and fill system, an automated weigh and fill system. Um, we do everything by hand, but we needed a machine that would at least weigh and fill. You know, it weighs it out and then we hit a, a, a foot pedal and then it opens up a gate and fills a bag. And we went, you know, we were able to scale our ability to pack uh, bags, uh, you know, so much more than what we were doing before that machine. So, you know, those little investments, you know, you can do a lot more with what you have. And that's really important. You know, you yeah. put your money into things that are going to increase your, your revenue. I mean, there's equipment out there that I would love to buy. That's, there's no way for me to make more money by having it. You know, it's cool. I would love to have it. It might improve slightly, uh, some quality, you know, like, um, uh, maybe, um, uh, the Pearl Mini, which is a, a, um, an optical sorter from Softa, would be a cool piece of equipment to have. Um, it would clean up some Quakers. Right now, we have to manually pick Quakers out of the, the coffee. And we, we were lucky enough that our coffees are relatively clean. You know? I mean, every, every coffee is going to have Quakers, no matter how much you pay for it. You're always going to find a Quaker or just something that didn't roast right or a black right. bean that got stuck somewhere. But, um, you know, but that machine, I'm not going to charge more for it. I can't, like, up the price of my coffee to my customers because I ran right. it through that machine. That machine's like 40 grand. So right now we're focused on if you're gonna buy a piece of equipment, it's gotta add value and it's gotta be something that we can see some level of return. You know, if I can make a person pack more bags in an hour, there's a return on that. Yeah. In terms of labor and 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 what they're able to produce in that amount of time. So yeah. One more question about the drop shipping. Are y'all like uh is there restrictions on like geography? Can somebody from California use you in New York? Like, like, I mean, there's no, there's no restrictions. Uh, we typically sell to people in the States, um, as far as our customers go, but we have customers who are in the States in Canada. Um, I think we have some overseas. I can't tell you for sure, but, um, 90%, 99% of our customers are in the States. You can be anywhere in the States, um, Hawaii, even, you know, it doesn't really matter to me, frankly. Oh, that's cool. Um, we use, uh, the post office a lot to ship coffee, flat rate mailers. Um, as long as they, you post office ships there, it's the same price. Um, and, uh, we do have, a, a, a you know, we've refined our shipping process. Um, so we ship worldwide. I will say that people who sell coffee overseas, it's very expensive to ship coffee overseas these days. Um, but, uh, if that's what they want to do, if they want to sell it to somebody in, in Europe or in Asia or where have you, uh, we'll ship it. And, yeah. um, so we don't restrict anybody, uh, but typically all of our customers are in the States and, um, uh, yeah, I mean, we work, we work, we work with anybody, you know, yeah. people who want to be, who are passionate about coffee, who want to be in the business, who appreciate what we do. That's, that's what we care about. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if y'all was kind of just tailoring to the New York area, New England area. Or, so it's, it's everywhere then. No, cool. it's yeah. It's nationwide. Anybody and anybody. Yeah. All right. Last yeah. question before we wrap it up then. I'm just kind of curious. What, what was your first roaster to start on? 
this Dietrich right here. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So my, my father owns a coffee company. Um, and this was a machine that they bought a long, long time ago. And okay. they used it occasionally. Um, but when we started PATH, this is what we had access to. So we used it. And oh, so nice. this is what we were using up until um, sort of early last year when we got this machine. Gotcha. So you got sort to of the COVID. days and all that then, huh? Yeah, I didn't even know about those machines, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> Until I started, I, I, I'm like, I'm learning about them now. But no, I didn't. I didn't get into. It. I mean, we have a small roaster. We have an Akawa for our our sample roasting and stuff like that. That's you know, 50 grams. It's as small as it gets for us. But um, but no, I, I never, I never got into that. Um, it just wasn't, it wasn't something that I had to get into uh, because I had access to this machine here. How do you like the Akawa, real quick? Does it transfer over to the Loring pretty good? No, no this I. The idea that you can transfer it, it's its a totally different machine. The best you can do is maybe you can see what the coffee will taste like at certain yeah. roast profiles and stuff like that. But ultimately, you got to roast batches on this thing. To find uh, you got to roast it on your – yeah, anybody who thinks that they can translate from a small roaster that doesn't have a bean probe that's just totally built differently to a machine yeah. like this or even a machine like this. You're kidding yourself. Uh, you you you've got to be willing to put some coffee into these machines, and roast it, and um, see what happens. You know, and yeah. if you don't like it, then you donate it, or you drink it yourself, or you give it to friends and family. Um, but uh, you you got to put coffee in these machines, and you got to turn it on and roast it, and, and see what it tastes like. And and yeah, I mean, you can see what it's going to taste like on the Akawa. You can do different profiles on it and spend all day, you know, doing all that stuff. But you're not going to translate it apples to apples at all. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know if you can do it from like an S7 lowering to an S15 to an S35. I suspect that would be a lot easier to translate profiles uh, because of the way that they're built. Again, the thermocouples, the placement, all that stuff is very consistent. But again, it's still, you know, it's it's a big difference in terms of batch size and and um so I, I don't know i've never tried uh, to do that but uh maybe it's easier with that with 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 the same machine uh manufacturer uh but from an akawa to a luring there's no way yeah you cup it and then you're like i like this coffee i'm gonna buy this coffee i like the flavors of this coffee okay let me see if i can replicate it here as close as possible yeah 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 because that's the other thing too i mean 50 grams you can try a bunch you know from little samples pound get a pound of coffee or something and yeah, you can definitely kind of see what you like. So, yeah, Ooh. absolutely, absolutely. But well, Jason, um, before we wrap it up, any any last things you want to kind of go over or talk about or anything? No, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to talk with you about our business and you know introduce it to your 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 subscribers and people that watch your channel. It's awesome you're doing this, and uh, you guys are you. So you said you're opening a place soon. Yeah, I'm trying to um, hopefully by the end end of the year. But uh, I know how, you know, things work. So I'm not, you know, if it goes into the next year, 2023, you know, I'm, uh, first month or so, you know, I, I, as long as I can kind of get it open between then. But yeah, I'm working on the, got all my pricing pretty much now. So going to the business plan lady and we're kind of getting all that submitted. Want to go to the bank, see what we can do. And yeah, hopefully, uh, I don't know, next couple months, get things under contract and get some contractors uh, building out and seeing what we can do. So what machine are you looking at? I'm looking at between the S7 and the S15. Now I've I've also been looking at the San Francisco and Diedrich and uh, you know a bunch of other ones, US roasters. But um, yep. I don't know. It's just kind of like what you're saying. Like you know, I I have family too, and I got three kids. And I remember there was one time whenever I had my little business going. Like my daughter was in the hospital for a couple of days, and it was like production stopped because like you can't teach if if nobody knows how to roast on your machine, you can't teach anybody in a day you know, to get what you was putting out. So that's one thing with family and stuff like that. My wife's family's from LA. So I don't know. I kind of want something where if we do go back to California, I can still, you know, have somebody roasting and stuff like that. So I, I do like that. That's kind of automated, but you can still have that artisan type feel where you can find what you want, change what you want and make it how you want, but then kind of automate everything else. So I'm kind of leaning towards S15. Um, depending on what the bank says and how much they'll, you know, wind up giving me, I may go with the S7 just kind of starting out, but we'll see. So well, it's, it, it's security. I found it to be a very, uh, you know, it, it makes you feel like you're secure. Your business is secure because yeah. I can, I can 
I, I mean, technically you could have almost anybody do it. You could walk them through the, the process of literally finding the profile, pushing it and charging the coffee. And this right. charges automatically also. So it's like, you don't even have to do that. You know, like literally load the coffee up and you set it and, and it hits, a, it hits a charge temperature and it loads it into the, the roaster. It roasts it and it'll turn on the fan. It'll turn on the cooling tray and it'll discharge the coffee at the exact same temperature every single time. And yeah, just that's all it does. Yeah. It, I don't know. It's kind of, it's one of the things It is a good bit more expensive. Um, so kind of like what you were saying too, at one point, you know, investment wise, how fast can you make your money back? How much are you saving on gas and stuff like that? And so that's kind of why I want to yeah, run, run the numbers and just kind of see what everything is. And I mean, from your other machine, your, your Diedrich, like to, to this one gas wise, what are you kind of saving? Is it, is it noticeable or, or not really? So we're in a big facility here. Uh, I actually have no idea how much gas this thing used, but I know it was a lot more than this thing. This okay. thing, because it has the cyclone and it just returns the air, the hot right. air, it's, it's, it's known to save you a substantial amount of money on gas. I can't give you a number because I really don't know what it is, but I know that it does save a lot of money on gas. So if you were to actually calculate it, uh, you would see a savings, I'm sure. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, and environmentally, it's also, it's also really good because it doesn't really put any smoke out. It incinerates all the smoke, all the chaff falls into the barrel. And, you know, it is basically has a built in afterburner. Right. Um, you know, that thing gets up to 1500 plus degrees. And so um, it's incinerating all the smoke. So um, not very much is coming out of the stack. Uh, and, and it's built to uh, California environmental standards in, in California those air standards are very, oh, yeah. very high, probably the highest in the country as far as I'm, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. So um, it meets those standards. Uh, and so anywhere you put this machine, it's going to be environmentally much more friendly than um, a lot of other machines uh, that you yeah. can buy. Yeah. Cause I'm down here in Louisiana and we're pretty laxed on, you know, pretty much any standard. So, but my thing <laughs> is like, you never know, like within three years, some could, could change. And all of a sudden you're having to fork out more money to get some afterburner or, or whatever. So it's like, it's just trying to think takes of, a lot of gas also. Yeah. It's just trying to think of all the issues that may be coming up and, you know, trying to plan and make the best decision that you can now that you may not be having to worry about, you know, two years down the road, three years down the road. So I think it's always good to just when you're going to start your roastery, just look five years down the road and say, where do I want to be? You know, and, and the equipment I buy today, don't just buy it for production today. Right. You know, buy it for production five years down the road or whatever that time frame is, but yeah. definitely, you know, yeah, it, it's gotta be, it's gotta, you gotta buy it for, for that period of time down the road where you, you know, you, you, you grow into it. I think that's much better. Right. Exactly. Just kind of grow into it. And that's my whole thing is, you know, I'm, I'm to that point now where I've realized like most things in life that you pursue, as long as you have like a long frame mindset, like I'm, I'm going to hit it for five to 10 years. And at that point I'll, you know, adjust, see where I'm at and see if it's, you know, working out and everything. But I, I feel like you have to definitely always plan long-term because that's the only way yeah. to really make any of this kind of work out. Even social media, the YouTube, any of it. Like if you, if you, everything's got to be so long-term thinking that's it's mm -hmm. really the only way to kind of make it all work out. So, yeah. I also think just to go back to this roaster really quick in terms of the long-term plan, like let's say you do get into this business and you're like, you know what, eh, after five or 10 years, it's not really for me. I'm really not interested in this anymore. And you want to sell this piece of equipment here. I think that your return would actually be higher than if you were to go with a different roaster. It's extremely powerful. It, it can be updated with software. Um, the physical structure is not moving. It's just paddles inside a, a solid tube that's welded right. to the front and back plates. So you don't have to worry about a lot of other parts kind of getting out of line and stuff like that, which is why it's also extremely consistent. Um, and so I think that your the money that you would get back on this machine, while it, you wouldn't get the same money that you paid on it necessarily, um, it has, I think, it would retain its value a lot more than, say, another machine. Um, it's really easy to clean, to maintain. There's a lot of benefits to it. So, I, I mean, I would encourage anybody who's interested in a, a professional commercial roaster to give it a serious consideration. Yeah. Um, whether it's a seven, a 15, 35, or the 70, um, my experience has been great. And, and the coffee coming out of it is delicious. 
Yeah, that is one thing. I mean, I remember when I first had coffee from Alluring, it was just different. I it was it's it's clean it's crisp it's i don't know it just has that different taste to it and uh somebody asked somebody asked me one time can you roast dark on it and i was like yeah just just roast it longer and darker <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like it's a machine it doesn't know it doesn't know it's just like you you know so i always thought that was kind of funny because people only thought that you know you're roasting light on this machine so how could you roast dark on it? I'm like just roast it to a higher temperature and longer i guess yeah it's kind know? of one of those misconceptions <laughs> a lot of people that have a loring they really only you know, a lot of them only roast really light coffee, it seems like. So it's kind of one of those things. Maybe maybe people do think you can only do light coffee on there, but. No, nope, um, you can do anything. <laughs> heck yeah. Yeah. Jason, dude, I, man, this is a good conversation, dude. Truly appreciate you coming on. And uh, yeah, like I said, I'll, I'll link all your stuff down below. And appreciate it. You know, you got your YouTube channel and all that going on. Definitely go subscribe to him. And uh, you got your blog and all that. I'm going to look through because I saw you had something else on there about the Loring. Definitely going to be reading up on that over this next yeah, week. Definitely tried to put as much information in there for anybody who's looking to get a luring, as much information as I could, even some pricing in there, you know, what the things you need to know about. Um, I'm probably going to update it a little bit now that I've had the machine for a little while now, add some more stuff to it. So yeah, super cool, dude. Well, I appreciate you being on buddy. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Also have a good one, Jason. You too. Take care. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Coffee Runs Deep podcast. I learned a lot from Jason and I took a ton of notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review. And thank you to my patrons that help support these episodes. It helps with all the costs that add up and it keeps these episodes coming. Hope you have a wonderful weekend and I will see you next week. Please subscribe to stay informed. Love you guys and see ya.